0: Most people aren't happy. That's right. You heard me correct. Most people aren't happy. In fact, according to a Harris poll in 2017, 66% of Americans would not consider themselves to be happy. That means two-thirds of the people sitting in this room or two-thirds of the people at our Neely campus this morning would not consider themselves happy. And this, this shouldn't surprise us, right? All you have to do is drive down the road in the Permian Basin and somebody is angry, right? All you have to do is hop on social media, look at Facebook or, or Twitter, and you, say, you can just see people are, are outraged. And here's the good news. We're about to enter into a season over the next five to six weeks where people are more stressed out. Were they're more anxious? Were they're more burdened than the rest of the year? In fact, as I was as I was looking and researching this week, I came across this term that that researchers have have coined for this kind of this season of the year. It's called festive stress. <laughs> festive stress, man. I don't know about you guys, but there is nothing festive about stress for me, right? But but this is what we see in our culture today. And so as I was preparing for today and thinking about what, what God would have to say to us, I, he took me to a couple of passages that I wanted to, to share with you today that I hope will help us navigate these next few weeks, because it's just true for some of us in here, these, these next few weeks are, are some of the most stress-filled and some, some of us even the loneliest time of the year. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to spend uh, the first part of our time together. And then uh, towards the end of our time, we're going to flip over to Luke chapter 18. And you can put your finger in there and and hold it towards the end of our time. And uh, while you're doing that, I want to take a minute and welcome those of you you who are watching online this morning. Also, my friends over at the Neely campus, I'm so glad that you have joined us this morning. Matthew 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he, speaking of Jesus here, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now I need your help as we begin our time this morning. I I want you to think with me over your past two or three months Okay, I need you to think about your busiest day or maybe your busiest week. Go ahead and think about it. All right, you got one? All right, so for me, it was about a month ago. I'm in school right now, and so I was finishing up a class, and I had two papers that were due that week. There was a lot happening at the church, and it seemed like my family was kind of running on empty. And on top of that, I was sick. And I don't know about you, some of you guys, you're tough when you get sick, but not me, man. I want to just curl up in the fetal position, right? I'm not very tough when, I, when I'm sick. And, and we have all had these kind of days or these kind of weeks, and we know what it feels like to, 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 to feel stressed out. And I can't help but wonder, as Jesus is presenting uh, the scripture, the passage that we're reading today, if, if the disciples were not kind of feeling this, this anxiety and this stress. Let me, let me show you why. Because if you go back just a, a few verses at the end of Matthew 4, we see that this is some of Jesus' busiest time, some of the disciples' busiest time in their ministry, In verse 23, it says, And he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction amongst the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics. And he healed them. And I can't help but wonder as I read that passage and we see that Jesus, after this crazy time of ministry, he retreats up on the mountain and he invites the disciples to come with him. And I can't help but wonder if Peter is like pulling out the hand sanitizer going, man, did you see that? Did you see what Jesus did down there? Some of you mamas, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're like, Timmy, Timmy, don't touch that chicken yet. Don't touch that chicken until I put the essential oils on your hand because that, that playground is like a Petri dish, right? You know what I'm talking about. But our, our text today, it, it finds us with Jesus sitting down with his disciples. And they're, they're looking over these crowds of people, these people who have just been healed, these people who have just been set free. And I can't help but wonder if they're exhausted if they're worn out on people. And Jesus, he begins to speak this this passage that is, is one of the most famous sermons, the most famous teachings that he gives during his entire ministry. It's the Sermon on the Mount, right? And it begins with these nine blessed are statements. He's talking about, we're blessed in our life when we live this way, right? They're called the B-attitudes, and there's nine of them. And I want to focus in today on, on the first one, because I think the first one has the potential to help us navigate through these next four to five weeks and maybe give us kind of a, 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 a direction uh, to, to get to some steadiness, to some consistency despite our circumstances, and so when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, I, I can't help but wonder if the disciples are sitting there going, ah, huh? Because <laughs> the disciples, they're, they're just ordinary men, right? They're not Hebrew scholars. But when he goes into to the Beatitudes, Jesus is saying something like this. This is how life is best lived. If you live your life this way, you will feel blessed. Blessed. If you live your life this way, you will feel happiness. See, when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, this is not a monetary statement. He's not talking about being poor and rich financially. No, 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 no. He's talking about a state of being. And for you and I, we live in the 21st century and and it's so hard for us to just be right? Because we think who we are defines us. We think what we do defines us. But, but I think that Jesus would tell us that we need to learn to just be. That's what evokes consistency and steadiness. But our challenge for many of us, for you and I, is that our circumstances is what affects us. What's right in front of us is, is what affects our being, right? So for you, maybe you have had a hard day at work, and so you come home and you're feeling anxious. You're feeling stressed out. You're feeling burdened. Maybe as you enter into this Christmas season, you already know money is going to be tight, and so it feels like the world is closing in around you. Maybe this is a hard season in your marriage, and you're asking the question, man, are, are we going to make it, like, And that's what you're focused on. Your circumstances are what is driving how you feel. It's your beingness. Let me see if I can illustrate this for a second. I want to take a minute and brag on our pastor, Pastor Daniel Stevens. See, I've known Daniel and Kayla for some 16 years now. I've been on staff here for uh, about 12. And I've watched Daniel I've watched him lead this church through some of the hardest circumstances over the past 12 years. I've watched him take our church through, through some of the most excruciatingly painful circumstances. And there's a steadiness about him. There's, a, there's an unwavering faith despite what the circumstances are. And you know people like this, right? You've seen people like this in your own life where you you look at them and you see them in the midst of a really hard situation and and you go, how do they do that? How do they stay so steady? It seems like they should be flipping out because I'm flipping out, right? But there's something in those people that brings a steadiness, that brings just a a beingness, if our state of being is not rooted, if it's not planted, if it's not established and growing in the Lord, our circumstances begin to run our world. And for, us, for some of us, what actually happens is, is it manifests physically in our body, right? We get pounding headaches. Our, our heart begins to beat out of our chest. We feel anxious and stressed out. We get depressed. But Jesus... When he's speaking about the Beatitudes here, he's, he's speaking in paradox. And of course, he does this pretty often. As we read through the Gospels, we see he says things like the first shall be last. We have to die to live. He says you have to serve if you want to rule or reign. And so when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, they are the ones who will receive the kingdom of God. What he's really saying is, that's how you're blessed. <laughs> That's how you will be happy. That is what it's all about. So why then? Why, why would that Harris poll find that 66% of us are not happy? Two-thirds of us. Two-thirds of us would not consider ourselves to be happy. Now, maybe in first service that was the case, right? But you guys, I, I believe that you guys are better than first service, right? So I'm glad that you're here. But here's what happens most of the time. For us, most of the time, our current need blinds us from our deepest need. It's whatever's right in front of us. It's our current circumstance, right? And so so we don't find consistency in our relationship with God. And so our circumstance is affected. We don't find consistency in our marriage. And so it's because our circumstance is affected. We don't find consistency in our parenting because... Our circumstances affected? But here's what I think Jesus is saying. I think Jesus is saying people who are poor in spirit, they realize that they are deeply in need. People who are poor in spirit are the kind of people who are not afraid to ask for help. People who are poor in spirit, they realize that they don't have it all together. And Jesus would say, these are the kind of people these are the kind of people who will inherit the kingdom of God. These are the kind of people that when circumstances are crazy in their life, there's a consistency and an unwavering faith in him. One of my favorite recording artists growing up was a guy named Rich Mullins. Some of you guys are familiar with Rich Mullins. He's kind of a, an old school uh, pioneer of contemporary Christian music. He was kinda, kind of reluctant in that. Like, he didn't really want to be a pioneer, but, but Rich, when he was growing up as a four-year-old, he was considered a, a, a piano prodigy. He had this way with lyrics, and, and, and he, he wrote so many songs that are just so rich in their lyrics. In fact, I got to meet Rich Mullins in 1997, just two months before he died. I was at, uh, I was at a, a music festival in, in Chicago, Illinois, uh, just outside of Chicago, and uh, I had gone to see his band. And I'm sitting there in the front row, and I see this guy kind of on my right. And he sits down in a chair next to me, and he's wearing this kind of tattered T-shirt, not because he was trying to be cool, but, right, he was just wearing this tattered T-shirt and these kind of ripped up jeans and these, these flip-flops that were way past their prime. And I look over at him, and he goes, hey, I'm Rich. And I was like, yes, you are. Huh, cool. But see, Rich Mullins, he, he had this incredibly humble lifestyle. In fact, he never even knew how much money he made, right? Some of, some of his closest friends kind of laughed about it. They said he just had these accountants who, like, gave him this really meager little salary for him, just enough for him to live on, and he gave the rest of it away. There was a humility in Rich Mullins. Despite all of his fame, he was poor in spirit. And I, I love what he says here in this quote. He says, the hardest part of being a Christian is surrendering. And that is where the real struggle happens. For so many of us, when, when we attempt to do it on our own, and that's what so many of us do, right? We, we pile it on, just keep putting it on my shoulders. I got it, I, I got it, I'm good. And we neglect to invite God into the conversation. We try to do it our own. We, we look at the creator of the universe who knows you, right? By the way, he knows exactly how you're wired. And, and we go, I'm good. I got it. <laughs> no, we don't. But see, the Bible doesn't hold any punches when speaking about this kind of attitude. The Bible would call this self-righteousness. It would call this pride. I don't know about you, but I don't like those words, right? Right? When I hear those words, I automatically go, I'm not prideful. I'm not self-righteous. And you do too. But I would guess if you're a student in here, all you have to do is ask your parents, hey, uh, have I ever read Prideful? And they could probably go, yep, 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 list off some things. Or if you have a spouse, I dare you. (laughs) I dare you to ask them if you've ever been prideful or self-righteous. And so I did that this past week. I asked my wife, my sweet Wife, who's sitting on the front row up here, I said, Allie, um, do you remember uh, any times in our marriage where I've been prideful or self-righteous and she was very kind? She's like, well, I can't think of it right away, but I'm sure if I try, I can come up with some, right? And I remembered one. It was about three years ago. I should preface this story by telling you that there was definitely a season in our marriage where Allie was an iPhone cord loser, right? Like she would lose cords. There, There was a stretch there where there was three or four that were lost in just a matter of six months. And I'm telling you, I got to the point where I was ready to prove a point. Now, let me just tell you, husbands, here's your free marriage tip for the day. It never goes well. Don't try to prove a point. But I thought it would be fun this day so I went ahead and tried it. So I hear Allie from across the house say, oh no, I think I left my charging cord again. And I'm immediately just indignant. I'm so mad. Are you serious? You can't hold on to your cord? You're an adult. Come on, what's wrong? And so I have a choice. I hear her say, do you have an extra cord? And I have two choices. Behind door number one, I can be an adult and say, yes, I actually have two. I have one out in the car and I have one in my computer bag. Or I can take door number two. I chose door number two. (laughs) So I pretended like I didn't hear her and walked outside. Well, I come back in in a few minutes and my plan had worked perfectly, right? But I see her phone charging on my cord. And I'm, of course, a little bit mad again. Like, why would you do that? Why would you use my cord? Can't run out of battery. Put it, take it off the cord, put it on her nightstand, and we go to sleep. Until the next morning. (laughs) When I'm digging through my computer bag and I see Allie walk by and she goes, did you have an extra cord last night? And I saw the look of betrayal like I've never felt in my life. And that was self-righteousness. Right? And we've all had these kind of situations where we kind of go, I can't believe you would do that. <laughs> Get it together. You've all had that. We've all done that. The Bible would call that pride. The Bible would call that self-righteousness. And pride and self-righteousness is the enemy of the kingdom of God. It's the enemy of the kingdom of God. I think about Satan when he when he decided that he was going to try to do it his way. He thought he could do it better than God. And he took a third of the angels because he thought he could rule and reign better than the creator of the universe. See, he had a a pride issue. He had an authority issue. But when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he's referring to a humble heart. He's, He's talking about being rooted in humility and being poor in spirit. It's, it's not self-deprecating, but it is, listen to this, it is, being will, it is being willing to call a spade a spade. It's saying that we are all in deep need. Every single one of us in here, the Bible would tell us that we are all broken and we're all in need of a Savior to redeem us. And here's here's the good part, church. When we get to this place, when we get to the place of realizing our deep need, this is when God can begin to work on us. This is when God can begin to work on our brokenness, when we will admit, I am broken. (laughs) I have a deep need. God can do wonders with a moldable heart. God can work miracles with those who are poor in spirit. But how do we get to this place? If 66% of us would say that we're not happy, how do we get to the place where, where our current need isn't blinding us from our deepest need? How do we get to the place where we're not feeling frantic and anxious and burdened, but there's a steadiness and a consistency and an unwavering faith. Flip over to Luke chapter 18. See, sandwiched between these two stories, sandwiched between these these two stories about people who thought they had it all together are, are these three short little verses. Luke 18, verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them, Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Hmm. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Listen to that. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. And here we see the disciples, and, and, and they're shooing these families away. They're shooing these kids away. They're going, hey, get your smelly kid out of here. Jesus doesn't have time for you. But we see, we see in another one of, of these passages that is a, a mirroring this same story. It says Jesus was indignant because I think Jesus loved kids. And you know what, so do you. Now you may not wanna like babysit your neighbor's kid, right? But, but there's something about kids that, that draws us in. Let me see if I can explain it to you. You know, this week uh, we were out of town. We went with my family on a trip and every airport that we went in, every elevator that we, that we got on, every hotel that we were in, it seemed like there was people that were engaging with my kids right? I have little kids. They wouldn't look at me in the eye because that would be awkward, but but they would interact with kids. And there's something I think that God loves about kids. I think it's it's that kids are not afraid to ask for the moon, right? Parents, you know this. You've seen this. When they're hungry, they're going to let you know. I want snacks. I want goldfish. I want cookies. If they're thirsty, they want milk or juice or water or whatever it may be. A kid is not afraid to get their need met. (laughs) A kid is not afraid to get their need met. See, when children have a need, they go to the only one who can meet their need. When kids have a need, they go to the one who can meet their need. And I love the way that Warren Wiersbe says it. He says, Jesus wants us to be childlike, not childish. Now, my story earlier, I was definitely childish. But Jesus, he wants us to be childlike. An unspoiled child illustrates humility and faith and dependence. And every single one of us in here, we've acted childish before, but humility, humility is, is what we are rooted in childlikeness. Humility is rooted in childlikeness. And our greatest power as believers is when we give away the power to the only one who can make a difference. Our greatest power is when we, we give that power away to Him. And this is where God can begin to work in our brokenness. This is where our our state of being brings about consistency. Because it's not about us. It's not about me. It's about him, the one who's already conquered the cross, the one who's already conquered the grave. And it takes away our circumstances that are right in front of us. This is where consistency begins to sink in. And so for those of us We're not looking forward to these next four or five weeks because we we know that we're going to have some circumstances that are really, really hard. We know that we're going to have to deal with that person or we're going to have to deal with that situation. Here's what I would encourage you to do this week. Super practical. Open up your Bible and read through the Beatitudes. Matthew 5. Read through the nine beatitudes. Blessed are these type of people. Pray about them. Ask God to begin to, 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 to let them happen in your life. And here's what I think will happen. <laughs> here's what I'm quite confident will happen. Your circumstances probably won't change. They might. God can do anything. But I think, I think your trust in him will become more unwavering. I think you'll, you'll begin to be like that person that we were talking about earlier, who, who despite their circumstances, they're, they're consistent and they're steady. And God will do that in your life. And if that's you today, I want to take a minute to close out our time and I just want to pray for you that, that God would, would meet you in your time with him and bring about some peace and some joy during this next five weeks. So, Lord, we love you. God, thank you that you know our needs. God, you know our current needs. But even more so, God, you know our, our deepest need. And that's you. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that even right now that, um, God, for those of us that are, are just dreading this, this next season, Lord Jesus, Uh, would you help us to be poor in spirit? Lord, would you help us to come to you daily? And God, that you would be the one that would fill us up. Thank you, Jesus, that you were the ultimate example of humility. But God, that you were also victorious, that you conquered the grave. And Lord, that you give us your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.